Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Dear Fandom, where everything you like is terrible. And that's okay. I'm Hillary. And I'm Megan. And uh, today is part two of a two-part, hopefully, we'll see at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah. This is part two of a potentially two-part, potentially three-part um, series we're doing on uh, the sort of... Uh, Watchmen series. You know, yeah, created by Damon Lindelof. So yeah. n- not to be confused with Watchmen, directed by Zack Snyder, or Watchmen, written by Alan Moore and illustrated by Dave Gibbons. This is Watchmen, created and written by Damon Lindelof, and like a bunch of other people, And to be honest. You know, any anything is usually a collaborative effort, with the exception of Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're kind of uh, synonymous with one another, but... Um... Yes, they absolutely are. So, uh, where we left off last week, we were talking about Will Reeves, and with regards to specifically Will's relation to being a black queer man in America, and how that's kind of, there's, this history has kind of been erased, and, you know, how we, we as white people weren't really aware of the Tulsa massacre, or in general, schools weren't informing us about the dark, nasty history of America, and, and what it is like growing up as a black person, you know, regardless of, of sex, sex or gender or, or or orientation or anything like that, what the black experience is like in America. And Watchmen does a great job at uh, handling, I think, you know, a nuanced view, especially with regards to uh, growing up in the 40s and 50s and being an adult man in the 40s and 50s. Today's episode is going to focus more on Watchmen creating this idea of the police and masking the police, and specifically the characters Angela Abar, Wade, and Lori Blake. Uh, I don't remember Wade's last name for a second. I don't, I don't know if Wade... Let me... I have this pulled up, actually. No, no. Oh, you do? Um, yeah. I do. I do. <laughs> Uh, Wade's last name is Wade Tillman. It is Wade Tillman, Tillman, yes. Okay, this is so sad because I literally watched it uh, like a week ago. But I'm also pregnant, and I once, I once, and by and by once, I mean like three days ago. A guy called, said his name was Matthew, and I said, "Hello, John," and he's like, "That's not my name." Okay, to contextualize this, he said he was from John Hop- Johns Hopkins, so that's <laughs> completely fair. <laughs> it's like, listen, you said Johns Hopkins. Your name is John now. <laughs> your your name is multiple Johns. I don't make the rules. <laughs> So, okay, so, uh, and and we'll we'll try and touch a little bit on Dr. Manhattan if we have the time. I just realized, like, oh, yeah, Dr. Manhattan, super important as well. Yeah, we, <laughs> we super did not. We actually talked about, um, Megan and I stayed on the line, like, for about 20 minutes after we ended the podcast last week, and we talked about Dr. Manhattan at length, and I thought afterward, I was like, we probably should have put that, like, in the podcast. Yeah, we probably should have included that. But so let's let's at least start off with the police. So the police yeah. in Tulsa have just, so there was a um, a law passed by the senator, well, who, the senator of uh, Oklahoma, Joe Keene Jr., uh, has passed a law within his state um, called the DOPA, uh, Defense Against Police Act is what it stands for. And it's just, uh, it, it is a response to what occurs on uh, d- Christmas Eve slash morning of uh, 2016. And basically what occurs in that day is uh, uh, 40 different police officers' houses are targeted by white supremacists. And the police in each and every single one of those houses is shot and killed, with the exception of Angela and the chief of police, Judd Crawford. And Judd, as you'll remember, is dead at the start of the show. Well, he's not dead at the start of the show, but he's dead at the first episode. And... um, and Angela survives only due to the fact that um, her husband, spoiler, is Dr. Manhattan, even though he doesn't know he's Dr. Manhattan because because uh, Damon Lindelof was like, and we're just going to put in a whole bunch of threads that will eventually thread. Um, yeah, it's 
it's super if you don't watch the like you just watch it because it's super complicated how he doesn't it's like there's like 2009 go on a date with me okay and like it's, just it's very- yeah well that's so that's you know dr manhattan is is just a very odd interesting character like that but so getting quickly back to angela so angela survives and uh and, and this act is enforced with the idea to protect quote unquote the police now at this in this alternate 2019 the police are a more diverse group of people and uh the the they are they're not so much targeting minorities in general low-income housing i guess is not something that they are focusing on so much as the eradication of hate groups specifically uh the seventh cavalry which is this specifics uh like area of oklahoma it's called the seventh cavalry it's it's just uh the kkk by another name it's they they wear hoods on their faces the only difference is those hoods aren't plain white they're like skull uh they're like uh what's the kind of mask that you put over your head skull not a skull cap um with the, they, they're literally Rorschach masks with the eyes cut out of no, them. No, the, the uh, balaclavas. Yes, exactly. And they've just been painted crudely with spray paint to vaguely resemble different Rorschach ink blot tests, All which right. is... Yes, this is why we said last week that if you think that Rorschach is the good guy here... He's not. <laughs> Absolutely not. But I don't think, I mean, if, if anybody, this is my issue is I think a lot of people specifically, like I read uh, Watchmen when I was 19 years old. I don't even know if I was 19. I might have been 18. Um, but I read it when I was younger. And I think teenagers have this way of like, like, like I also like read Catcher in the Rye and I'm like, yeah, Holden's completely right. Everyone's a phony. And I, you know, I read Fight Club and I was like, I get it because there's this kind of, you know, society sucks and everyone's terrible. And maybe we all as teenagers go through misanthropic states but maybe i was just weird (laughs) no you weren't i think those um those books are good examples of sort of everyone kind of sees like the everyman as the other in those contexts and when i say he's not good i mean like his message no it's absolutely not is being warped by a white supremacist group like Exactly. He, he's more of a he was more of a conspiracy theorist than anything else. Like he was the dude talking about chemtrails and like Exactly. And he was also just at his core, he hated everyone. He didn't yeah. just hate women. He didn't just hate uh gay people. He hated everyone. Now specifically, now this has been brought up to me that specifically he doesn't mention in the graphic novel context of Watchmen that he hates black people. But I'm pretty sure that if you were to read Rorschach's journal that, you know, was not in contained in the seven pages that we get to read in the in the graphic novel, there's probably something along the lines of racist uh, you know, rhetoric. And uh it's 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 not hard to extrapolate on that, especially if you're calling silhouette um a lesbian whore or like things like that. Like there's there's just things that you can just believe like okay he hates everyone i'm not i don't i'm not absolving rorschach because he didn't use any racial slurs like that he's just very very fond and like not racist at all like just of course no i completely i completely understand i just wanted to like emphasize the fact that i understand that it's like definitely more multifaceted than that absolutely and so what has happened is his message of like hate everyone has been co-opted by this white supremacist group and they've just and they I think what kills me is like uh they they're using that very that very famous phrase at the beginning of of Watchmen and, and you know all the whores and politicians will look up and shout save me and will whisper and I'll whisper back no and you're just like that's great but it's 
Instead, it's like it's just co-opted to sound like all the liberal politicians and race traders will look up and shout, save us. And I'm literally like, dude, where are you getting this from? <laughs> God, that's that's truly Charles Manson language. But, you know, <laughs> it is. It is. It absolutely is. And so speaking of um, taking this uh, this this message of, of you know, of, of misanthropy and just want and just hating everyone in the world. And it's been co-opted by this this white supremacist group. This happens all the time in real life. I think what we do as a society, especially if it's a hate group, they'll find some message that they absolutely love and they'll just continue to compound upon it. Like, I mean, how many incels absolutely adore the shit out of Tyler Durden? How many fucking Republicans call anybody who doesn't believe exactly what they believe a snowflake? And you're just like, that is... Have you read it? Do you know who wrote it? Yeah, Did Ty- you read it? Like The Tyler Durden example always drives me fucking nuts because I want to grab them by the shoulders and just be like, it is a parody. It is a parody of masculinity. He is a gay man writing this book. <laughs> and that's, But that's the point. The point is, is that the, it's been lost in translation because they're taking what they want out of it and using it for their own purposes. And the same thing goes with the 7th Cavalry. They're just finding the parts of Rorschach that they like the most. And that's it. That's all they care about. And I mean, Rorschach isn't alive, so it's not like he's going to pop up and go, excuse me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Rorschach sure is dead, but go on. (laughs) Rorschach absolutely is dead. Book, movie, everywhere, he's dead. Um, So so with the the 7th Cavalry and the police, so now the police are a more diverse group. You have more women on the force. You have more people of color in general on the force. Um, The white people who are on the force are more, I mean, one of the only named white people on the force is Red Scare, who is just, I mean, the most... And like it's it's like if you asked a kid who'd been watching like one too many speeches about communism and they're like draw what you believe a Russian person looks like if they were a superhero and it's just some like chunky Russian dude in a red tracksuit with the fucking <laughs> with the, with just the Russian flag all over it and they're yeah. like yep that's that's communism we got you know, it I look at him and I think you know like big mood like I guess <laughs> <laughs> and one of my favorite parts is he's beating up uh, a reporter at one point and he goes you fucking Nazi and then he grabs him by his collar and goes, I'm not a Nazi. I am a communist. And he punches him in his face. Uh, It's so good. Um, And so what happens with this, uh, with this split is that you have your masked cops, but you also have masked uh, white supremacists. And it, it just becomes this very murky, murky water of like, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Obviously to the viewer, I mean, for me personally, this is the first time I've ever watched a TV show and I'm like, yeah, kick the shit out of them. And because they have several uh, parts in this TV show where they go to Nixonville, which is your your white trash trailer park kind of place. And, you know, the cops just beat the ever loving shit out of them. And I'll fully admit I was watching that and I'm like, yeah, they're all hateful, racist pieces of shit. So do it. And I think it's interesting to, like, think about how the, the TV show frames that because, I, you know, when we see it as in our real lives of, of innocent black men and women just being beaten in the street for just existing, for just being black and alive. And then you look at something like this where you, you're like, but no, they, they're living in a place where I know a bunch of racists live. Like, it's, 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 yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, keep going. It's, no, it's, you're absolutely right. It's like, watching it is, it makes me think, because watching it was so satisfying. I was like, because you know they're hateful. It's like punching, it's like you always punch a Nazi. It's like watching 
Nazis get decked, like video compilations of Nazis getting decked. It makes my day. It's great. Absolutely. <laughs> and like, so specifically in the first episode, so after... Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> after, um, so after, so one of the officers is shot. He's not killed. He, you know, because officers wear bulletproof vests. And luckily he was shot specifically in his chest area. There may have been a bullet that may have grazed an area that was not covered by the vest, but he did not die. It was not um, a kill. Sh- it was not a kill shot. No. So Angela is introduced at this point. She's, uh, you know, introduced that she's undercover or the, the cops have to pretend that they're not cops in this universe because they, they're in fear of their lives, which is an absolute fair and valid fear since 40 of them were shot and killed in one night. Uh, and so Angela is when she when you reach the rank of detective in uh, the Tulsa PD, you now become a costumed fighter as opposed to if you are a officer, you just have a yellow mask to identify you as such. Uh, and, and, and as a detective, you get your own cool, you know, uh, car like your and it's just it's very interesting. Angela's name is Sister Knight and she's named after uh, an uh, I'm actually not sure if it's a black exploitation film because this, this movie didn't exist in the real world. Uh, but it's it's based off a 70s film in which there is a black woman who's got a fucking awesome afro and a fucking sweet ass outfit. And she's a nun. And uh, the tagline of the movie is the motherfucker with the gun. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Um. I think, and then she first got into it when she was like seven to ten. <laughs> Listen, for real, it's it's so sexy the outfit. Like holy it, shit, <laughs> it isn't just. It's so reasonable. She wears a heel that's one thick, two less than two inches, so she can run in it. And it's the most realistic. Like until I had seen Birds of Prey, when I was like, oh, she's fighting in a sports bra that like I am currently wearing as a pregnant woman. So. Perfect. Um, yeah. Because it's just a reasonable outfit in which to, you assume, would kick ass. Like, you, you watch women fighting in, in six-inch stiletto heels, and you're like, so did you break an ankle filming this? Or I know. It's like, there are lots of episodes that are directed by women, actually, in yes. the research that I did for this. So I think they're going to have say in what Sister Knight wears. Exactly. So so with Sister Knight, so she finds out about this this attempted murder on this police officer. She goes to Nixonville. She just knocks in one of the doors, grabs the guy out, beats the shit out of him, throws him in her trunk, drives to the precinct and goes, there's a guy in my trunk. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's brought into interrogation immediately. And interrogation in this, in this world is just oh, so much. So... There's, there's really, I mean, the Miranda process is kind of a little uh, more, uh, way different than I know it as, you know, being seen on like law and order nowadays. And um, so the, the uh, white supremacist that she is, uh, I guess, commandeered to put inside uh the interrogation chamber is this like big pod in which the the other character that we've been talking about wade tillman his his uh persona is looking glass so he's covered in this reflective like chrome like mask other than that he's basically like a plain clothes detective from the neck down and wade just starts asking all of these questions to this white supremacist i mean some are you know like do you think we should pay taxes or what would you think if i defecated on the american flag <laughs> and in the background like a lot of images are flashing and so he's not just observing the answers he's observing the guy's body language yes and, and like, he's watching his pupil direct. dilation yeah. and things like that and I, what's the most important thing to mention is that uh Wade is played by Tim Blake Nelson, who has just been, I mean, Tim Blake Nelson is an amazing actor, but he's also well known for playing rednecks of every 
kind of hateful. <laughs> um, I mean, one of my favorite movies is Holes, and he is his character is so specifically hateful towards Zero for truly like I'm literally trying to find reasons, and I'm like, nah, you just don't like him. <laughs> it's, well, that's another that's another film about, and we're gonna do an episode on that because I think it's extremely important uh, to discuss the prison industrial system and he's he's just a classic war, like prison guard and that's the thing is but he's a he's a prison guard under the guise of a psychiatrist or a therapist in that film yeah. and and he like he, he earns trust by by earning it with some and, and you know dismissing it with others and but like in this show this is why I really truly love that you know when they say like oh don't get stereotyped as one kind of character and Tim Blake Nelson's like it's fine I'll play a hick for everything and Damon Lindelof is like what if you play a woke hick and <laughs> Tim Blake's like I'm excuse me what that's those are words that go to I, those don't those what and like I'm sorry <laughs> and it's wonderful to like see him because after he comes out of the pod um he goes yep he uh he's he's lying he knows exactly who killed this guy and where they're located and he said he said but he won't give up that answer without provocation and instead of normally the way the cops work in terms of getting people to give up a location of a bigger hideout or or something like that is there always some kind of like immunity offered or some kind of deal like you give us this we'll give you this and with Angela, she just goes, I'm so sorry. You know, I we confused you for someone else. I apologize for my behavior. And I'm just like, this is so weird. What's happening next? And then she just opens a door, throws him into a room and just, you don't see it, but she beats the ever loving shit out of him so much so that there's blood fault like trailing out from under the door. And every detective and the fucking chief of police is like, well, that's uh, that's a that worked. <laughs> um, and and that's and that's where the thing comes in is, is it's like so it, it creates this narrative of I I mean I do want a more diverse police force I do want a more diverse police force in every sense of the word I want more women I want more people of color I want more black people indigenous people everyone like that but like if you were to, I mean that's the thing is I I just it's it's such a hard question because because I believe anybody who's racist especially like to the point of like seventh cavalry like calling people like calling a white person who doesn't who who's willing to call out the injustices in the system a race traitor like all right now i gotta punch you in your dick 30 times um yeah it, it's, it's hard though it's hard yeah. because it's still inhumane to just beat the shit out of anyone and then you wonder like okay so they're treating the white supremacists like this what happens in 10 20 years when like maybe white supremacy goes underground or something and you know will that wrath extend to other groups you know yeah and that's the question that joe keen jr is just sitting on for like a while and throughout the show he's kind of this background character he's your very attractive young senator from oklahoma and everybody's like oh my god he's so pretty i love him he's so nice and then he like starts being really racist and you're like what did you just say um, <laughs> predictable <laughs> um and and it's it's his 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 the reason he was use he was letting the cops do whatever the fuck they wanted was because he had this plan to eventually turn public opinion. So that way the cops would no, be no longer be distinguishable from the bad guys. The cops would be the bad guys in essence. Lori Blake has a, has a you know, has a 
quote from, I think, uh, the second or third episode where she says, what's the difference between a mass vigilante and a mass cop? And then Angela goes, I, I don't know. And she goes, exactly. Because you're not really, because a mass vigilante doesn't fight for any specific laws. They fight for justice. Um, and cops are supposed to, supposed to, heavily emphasizing those, um, follow yeah. a set of laws that has been in instilled by the state or the city or the country, depending on what set of laws you're following. And uh, and it's just, he wanted those lines to become so blurred that eventually the, the country would just dissolve into chaos. So while this looks utopic from a snapshot, he was hoping that it would just become shit very, very quickly. And I can actually, I can, I can see a white supremacist believing that. And I can also see, you know, not everyone in this country is going to agree to like, you know, there would be some people who'd be very comforted knowing that white supremacists were getting their ass beat every night and they didn't have to worry about that shit. And they no longer had to worry around the police. But it, it's just, it, there's never going to be a solution with regards to, you know, it, it, like that kind of unfair policing and where you just tell the police, okay, you can do whatever you want, just do it to this group. And then eventually that group's gonna go away. So now do it to this group and then that group's gonna go away. And it's just, the police have that unlimited power and that's the issue. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the show kind of turns, the, the show is sort of for like your, not your average left person, because I feel like you and I like kind of, you know, we can see like the mechanics, but your average like neoliberal kind of who is yeah. like, like sort of like, oh, I'm I'm against police brutality, and then like they see white people getting beat up, and they're like, huh, like what's that all about? Like they're they haven't thought of that before. Yeah, and like the fact that like like I I as I said before, I am all for white supremacists getting their lives fucking ruined. Like please take yeah. away their jobs, make sure they can never vote, make make sure they can never be proper members of society again but like people are like i don't i don't know just i, I, I think i think yeah. the, i think the big the biggest question is that you know should the police should have anyone? constraints that's yeah. the whole point yeah, and so then the, you sorry should no. the police be beating anyone exactly so like like that's then that's the thing is it's so like if you look at this this tv show as a whole wade is one of those characters who is I think what I would consider an ideal police officer, if I had to consider any character that's been based on the police, mm -hmm. um, and because and I'm including Mariska Hargitay in Law and Order SVU because um, she actively gets traumatized about seven million eight hundred and twenty-five times in a fucking season per that show. Mm -hmm. And Wade, however, uh, so Wade's character he survives uh, Eleven Two, which is the uh, the squid attack on New York City, and it's, that trauma just impacts him to the point of it's it's kind of it kind of leads to his power of being able to tell when people are lying to him, and uh, he's always on this. He's, he, the reason he wears this reflective mask is because it's made of this fictional substance called reflectatine, which is supposed to protect you from psychic shock waves that you know the aliens are sending, and it, he becomes kind of conspiratorial, but in an obvious offshoot from Rorschach it never really impacts like it's kind of just these thoughts in his head that he has when he's by himself or or with his you know when he was with his ex-wife he's 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 an anxious nervous mess because of what he experienced in his life in the same way that Rorschach has a lot of trauma that has happened to him he's watched his mother as a sex worker and, and you know watching your the sexualization of your mother is always hard to do especially when you're a child and um you know he's beaten up mercilessly as a kid and then he uh one of the the, the driving factors as to why Rorschach 
Rorschach gets into uh, crime fight crime fighting is because of the Kitty Genovese murder, which is uh, the the one that started the bystander effect. She was raped and murdered in an alley. I believe over 70 people watched it and nobody called the cops because they thought somebody else would. And that's what got him into uh, fighting crime. Whereas for Wade, he didn't join the police force until the mask laws were enacted. And Wade, I think, did that out of a sense of self-preservation. Absolutely. But he also did it because it's it's something that, you know, fighting, fighting uh, for whatever reason, you know, fighting crime, fighting injustice, uh, following a strict set of laws. It's hard because you have your own personal beliefs, too. And for Wade... Yeah. He, I think what's what's really beautiful with his character is that he, I think he's just so nuanced in his trauma. His trauma does impact him in every way, but you don't see it at work. You never see it until something, like until he has that re that realization, that reveal where he finds out the squid attack was entirely faked. We've never been under alien attack. Your entire life has been a lie. Yeah. And one of the biggest injustices that was done to his character was that they revealed that and then he went the fuck away and they're like, well, he'll come back fine. And he did. <laughs> yeah, that's... God, I hated that. I was like, but where is the... Where are we going with this? You can't just do that. Um. And that's... I mean, that's one of the issues that I have. But to be honest, it was never Wade's story. Wade was kind of incidental in the in the point of, you know, this is Angela and Will's story and Dr. Manhattan and Cal's story. Cal's and, yeah. uh, and Wade is just somebody who exists to help flesh out this universe. And, and one... I just... what I guess what I love most about Wade is, is that he's so accepting of other people's traumas and he doesn't necessarily feel like he needs to talk about his um in order to make it like like uh Lori at one point brings up uh that she that he was there on 11 2 and you know she she's trying to get this conversation out of him and he's just like nope not doing it and and then he go, there's like this AA style meeting where a woman comes up re real to be just an, an inside agent for the 7th cavalry to try and get him to switch sides but she's talking about her trauma and he believes that you know he's like we can only assess how deep your trauma is relative to mine once we have that conversation and you know she's trying to say like mine isn't as bad as yours and he's like no that's not the point the point isn't to make you feel shitty because you you've traumatized you've been traumatized by this event in a different way than me it's, it's still the it's still valid it's still the same and uh that's why i love it because it's this narrative of you should never feel like because your life was harder you have more of a right to your trauma than somebody else's trauma and that's where it comes down to in the second half of this um so now we have angela's trauma which is you know having experienced her own father's uh her own grandfather's past and and knowing what he has gone through wade having gone through a terrorist attack which what it is what it is it's it, we can call it an alien attack it's ozzy well, sending a squid to kill three million people i was i was about to say before but we kind of like went on a different subject and that's totally fine because where you were going with this was super interesting but it's a war crime essentially yes yes war crime that's exactly it war crime and and surviving a war crime and then you have Lori, who is i mean relatively relatively speaking you know she had a decent life i mean she did enter into a relationship with a man who is significantly older than her but then again he's kind of like an immortal god so we're, we're getting on the zeus topic here um and then she found out about this trauma in the sense that her mother was raped by the comedian and then at a later point she went back to him and had a consensual encounter. And for Lori, she cannot reconcile those two things. She can't reconcile why would her mother hate this man so much and then go back for a consensual encounter. And it and it and it portray it it 
it, it literally impacts her life up until the current day of Watchmen, the cinematic, the cinematic, the TV <laughs> show, um, because it's something that she's been unable to be in a relationship. She's she's been alone her entire life. I mean, her and Dan uh, were, you know, they broke up once the FBI caught them. And yeah. and she's been obsessing over Dr. Manhattan because it was she's just like her mother in that sense. Yeah, Dr. Manhattan was absolutely an adult male when she was 16 and they entered into a relationship. But that didn't stop her from from kind of creating this this idealized boyfriend in her head that he was perfect, he was wonderful, and nobody will ever treat me the same ever again. Exactly. And that was the way she internalized her trauma. Angela, she internalizes her trauma that you know she that she knows. I mean, her trauma is something that hasn't technically happened yet. It's her relationship with Cal, having met in two thousand. Oh, technically, her trauma is also her parents died. She's got a lot. Angela's got a lot. <laughs> um, yes. Her parents were killed in front of her. Uh, she was raised in an orphanage. Her grandmother died. Like there's, there's knowing that the man that she's in love with is going to die. Well, not going to die, but it's going to end in tragedy. So Angela's also got a gigantic amount of shit to unpack. So does Wade. So does Lori. And Wade's whole point is none of these are preferable. No one's going to look at me and go, well, what do I want? What do I want to find out that I'm the product of rape, uh, survive a war crime or watch my parents die? All right. Mm hmm. Okay. Can I get none? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, no, I thought, I thought that was like a great facet of his character. And I think, yeah, the nuance of, I feel like this show kind of does in a serious way what like Brooklyn Nine-Nine tries to do with humor. They're like, yes. we're humanizing cops. They're making them funny. And this show is kind of like, well, you know, this is an alternate view on a police force in a completely different America, like kind of sit on that for a little bit, like actually think about it as opposed to like, you know, smoke at the smoke and mirrors. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's that the police, the police are just as fallible as everybody else, but it's, it's just that their humanity is so much more a present and so much more apparent than I think we've seen in a lot of cops and a lot of different TV shows. Yes. I mean, I, going back to Law and Order SVU, because it's one of my favorite TV shows and I haven't seen it in a long time, but Chris Maloney was one of my favorite characters in that show. And his, his cop, like his, his character, uh, Elliot Stabler was just a fucking awful human in terms of like beat the shit out of every fucking perp no matter who they were and like I think for me it's like I was very much in that Watchmen mindset I'm like well they're a, they're a rapist or they're a child molester or they're a rapist slash murderer beat the shit out of them and it's it, but it's it's you know that's the thing is with justice especially in the current in the current climate we have is an arrest doesn't mean a guilty verdict it's innocent until proven guilty. You can't beat yeah. the shit out of someone until they give you what you want. And you're never going to get the truth from that kind of thing. Uh, torture doesn't. Torture has exceedingly been proven to never get you the results that you want in an, in an interrogation. No, it's um, usually the confession is uh, false. And um, even besides all of that, like violent and like sexual crimes are maybe like 5% of offense of like arrestable offenses. So, um, so, but yeah, so getting back to, uh, you know, and, and taking that trauma and misdirecting it in other places. So you have uh, Lori and Angela who, who take that trauma that they've experienced and they, they channel it through their jobs. Lori, I mean, in the in the episode she's introduced in, she's fighting vigilantes, like hunting vigilantes for the FBI because vigilantes are outlawed. And there's yeah. a dude who shows up looking like dollar store Batman. And, <laughs> and 
<laughs> and she's like, this is a sting. And he goes to run away. And he's running just about as fast as any 35-year-old dad who's had like a six-pack. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to go check on the ribs. Like he's not really, he's not really like booking it. And instead, Lori just shoots him six times in the back. And you're like, okay, do you have some anger issues? Do we need to have a talk? And then you have Angela who just like when she's, you know, beating the shit out of that guy in the first episode. And then in the second episode, when they do the Nixonville thing, uh, the Nixonville raid, uh, Red, um, Red Scare, I believe, says, are you sure you don't want to? We know you love doing... Or Wade says, are you sure you don't want to? We know you love doing this. And she goes, no, I don't want to. I don't think this is right. Because she knows that Judd was murdered by her grandfather. Mm -hmm. But what happens is, is when a guy grabs her, she beats the ever-loving shit. Now, she could have just, you know, grabbed him, pinned him, and said, okay, well, that's it, and, like, put him in handcuffs, but instead she beats the fuck out of him. She just smashes his face in and in and in, in this intense, just trauma, because she has lost Judd, and it's, it, it's the only way she knows how to channel her anger, or her feelings in general, is through anger. And then you have Wade, who channels his feelings through shopping for things and items that give him physical comfort, as in the, uh, you know, that security system that he owns, all the reflectatine he owns. He channels his trauma through material things, and he just lives by himself in this isolation, and it's just, it, 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 there's no one way that's correct in order to tr pro process your trauma, especially for police officers. But it's it's just interesting to see that, you know, the, the, the typical tropes of the male cop being filled with anger. And, you know, it takes a lot for the woman to really get angry. And instead, she's just going to drink wine all night. Instead, you have this very interesting switch of you have an old white woman and a middle aged black woman. And they're 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 taking their anger out in the exact same ways and then you have a middle-aged white dude who's just like i'm gonna go eat some beans and buy some chromey stuff and i'll be fine and like <laughs> and that's it and that's and that's what and that's what i love about this show is is the constant change of your expectations your constant subversion and it you know it lends itself to we should allow more vulnerable people on the police force in general, like if somebody were more empathetic towards a human's condition, they'd be like, okay, well, we're not going to beat the shit out of anyone. <laughs> um, yeah, first of all. And it's just, that's what it is at the end of the day. And I think like towards, you know, at, at the at the climax of the show, it's it, the police really aren't as involved anymore. It's more about Cal and Angela. But to before I get to Cal, we've got a little bit of time. I just want to talk about specifically the role of billionaires in America Lady True is not a billionaire. She's a trillionaire, which Jeff Bezos is well on his way to it. No, he's um, already a trillionaire. I did not know that. He just, it just happened like two weeks ago. I am going to check that in a moment after this is over. Um, and uh, and so Lady True is a trillionaire and Ozymandias is a billionaire. And they're just both so detached from reality. They believe in this kind of that whatever they do, so for instance, Ozzy killed three million people for altruism. He did it because he was trying to prevent world war. Lady True is trying to steal all of Dr. Manhattan's powers because she wants to heal all of the sickness in the world, make the ozone better, clean up all the trash in the world, do things like this. She wants to make the world a better place for purely altruism, because it makes them feel better. They don't want to do it because it's going to make the planet feel better. No. They want the accolade. They want the praise. No, and that's the difference between billionaires and, like, normal people. But exactly. 
You don't see somebody cleaning up a beach, like a, a classroom of kids cleaning up a beach because they expect that, you know, people are going to walk up to them, give them handshakes and say, you know, oh my God, here's, I'm going to just give so much money to your school. It's, it's more about just doing it for the sake of making the community a better and safer place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I use beach cleanup specifically because we're both from, uh, you know, Beach communities. Beach communities. And you and I have both done it because before school projects. Yeah, literally they were like, okay, everybody, time for a beach cleanup. And you're like, cool, I hope I find some needles. Um, The 2000s were a weird time. I I did find a syringe. (laughs) Oh, I did too. Tons of condoms too. Lots of Um, of tampons. (laughs) Oof, jeez. And, uh, but yeah, so, so with just quickly touching on Ozzy and Lady True. Now, I have always enjoyed these kind of morally ambiguous characters because, I mean, just because I think they're very fun topics of conversation. Like, were they wrong? Technically, if if uh, if Ozzy did not, you know, uh, let a squid loose in Manhattan and kill three million people, would a world war have occurred? Would millions more have died? It's very much that railroad question. You have the you have the railroad jet barreling towards five people tied to the tracks. Now you are on a switch and the switch will change the direction of the train, but it will kill one person. Sometimes I've heard this uh, this theory posed as this is a person who you know or a person close to you. And they say, what do you do? Do you, do you uh, sacrifice your friend or do you uh, let the five people die and let the train continue on its way? And that is basically what Ozzy's question is. Ozzy is, I'm, you know, I, I see that I believe that there is a lot of proof that we are one minute till, you know, midnight at this point. I think at this point, America is as well. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, and he's, he just wants to prevent people dying en masse. And it's, he doesn't do it though in the end because he's, he's truly, because it, it, that's the thing is just like John says at the end of uh, Watchmen, he says nothing ever ends. It doesn't, it doesn't ever end. And, uh, Ozzy's actions do create peace for a time, but humans are weird, hateful things, and they, and especially military systems, they love the idea of not, you know, having to stop doing the war thing. So they want to continue finding reasons to hate each other. And, uh, and Lady True, I think it would be the exact same equation. Had she gotten Dr. Manhattan's powers, the question wouldn't have been, you know, oh, she would have solved everything. She may have, but then what could have happened is there could have, she could have, in an attempt to, you know, feel, I mean, she's a Vietnamese woman. She, she, you know, her mother has a lived experience of watching, in this universe, America terrorize and kill the Vietnamese people in horrible, horrible ways. So this could, as much as she wants to say, I will make the planet a good place, there's no way we could have known that as the audience. There's no way to say that, you know, she wouldn't become this malevolent godlike figure and just set fire to tons of cities. And like, what does a, what, as you, to kind of like reiterate and sort of like the question that's repeating in my mind, like, what does a utopia look like? What does, what, where do you go from there? There's always going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I just, uh, I'm kind of firmly of the belief that you people should not hoard money. And um, instead of creating a squid to, you know, drop on New York City and kill three million people, maybe you could have just, like, given your money away. But then we wouldn't have a show. So. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing is, and, and especially at this point, so, like, with Lady True, I... 
I understand that, you know, she's, I mean, she's an amazing character. She's played phenomenally. She's written well. I love the idea of, of her just being like, well, I, like, the only, like, she had such a strong, close relationship with her mother and, like, creating this clone of her fucking mother because she's just like, yeah, I love it. This is a good idea. Let's do yeah. it. Um, it's, she's an interesting, interesting character. But I think at the end, you know, money corrupts wholly, deeply, in, entirely. You can never truly fight for the good of people when you have trillions of dollars just doesn't work that way uh, because you're so far removed from humanity as a whole just like I mean Ozzy specifically is Uh, his whole arc is he's on Europa for the entirety of the show except for some flashbacks and he has two servants uh, Mr. Phillips and Miss Crookshanks and these are life forms that were created specifically by Dr. Manhattan who And the reason he created them was because they just love. They don't want anything in return. They just want to give. They only want you to be happy. They don't care about their own happiness because their happiness is found in someone else's happiness. Which is true, pure love. Being able to to accept someone fully, completely, entirely as they are. And then Ozzy comes along, takes complete advantage, kills most, like, kills as many as he possibly can in one time, like, flings them out into the cold recesses of space and spells out words in their dead bodies. So it's, that's, and that's the point. That's where it comes back to the utopia. Dr. Manhattan created these people with the hope that they would be more loving than humans. But because they were only capable of giving love and not really uh, accepting it back, they they can be taken advantage of in the most cruel and inhumane ways and i mean you, you during the show ozzy sets him on fire uh he stabs them all of this stuff he makes them perform in a show it, they're his puppets and that's where it comes down to is in a utopia it really does depend on the on the quality of the people in that utopia. It doesn't really as much as we want to say like you know if we didn't have billionaires everyone would be good that's again that's debatable because humanity is just not good as a whole it's not bad as a whole it's kind of this mixed bag of many different kinds of people i yeah i don't yeah i'm not saying that if we didn't have billionaires like every problem would automatically be solved oh yeah i just just think that um i just don't think i think billion like wealth disparity and the fact that there of course like uh lindelof couldn't create an america where there wasn't wealth disparity just because it's a fact of America. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think I think the capitalism is so deeply entrenched in in what at least twentieth into twenty first century America has become. Yeah, that that it's it's impossible to imagine an America where we didn't have it. And I I don't even mean that in like a negative sense. I just mean it in the sense like it's it's something that's so deeply entrenched in what we believe it to make someone successful is to you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps. However, you know. That didn't always work if uh, you didn't all have the same kind of bootstraps or any bootstraps at all. <laughs> yeah, what instead? What if instead of uh, boots, you were given like, like the skates, but with the sort of the straps that don't aren't even the shoes? <laughs> like, I, yeah, or like you didn't have shoes in the first place. Yeah, you didn't. Um, I uh, I think this concept of uh, this concept of. Uh, um, Dr. Manhattan, I was like, the blue guy. <laughs> the blue one with the big dick. With the big oh, I love God. you. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, that's to my husband. Um, um, the concept of him creating these creatures for Ozymandias is like, 
truly an example of how detached from humanity he's become. Because, like, if he knew a shred of, like, like, Ozzy's a dude who, again, squid, but, like, he's, he, um... He deployed the squid 35 minutes before he made the speech to everyone in the room so that the plan would, like, automatically work. Like, he's going to take advantage of the situation every time. So, you know. Absolutely. I mean, his type of character has been, I mean, the most the most uh, famous example I can think of outside of Watchmen is Thanos. Yeah, the biggest chin that has ever chinned. <laughs> the biggest the biggest chin that Josh Berlin, Josh Berlin has ever had, uh, besides his own. <laughs> okay, but no, it's, I, it's definitely yeah. that, that concept of, you know, I, I mean, this is the thing, and this is where a lot of the, like, like, to say something like, well, I mean, yes, three million people died, and that was awful, but the world didn't enter into a war, and a lot of people didn't die in a nuclear holocaust. And you'd be like... I mean, you're right. I mean, what would the alternative have been? And that's where it comes down to. It's very morally ambiguous. These are morally ambiguous decisions. With True, we will never know the moral ambiguity of her decision because she wasn't allowed to make it. And the reason she wasn't allowed to make it is because her father, who is Ozzy, decided that he didn't want her to make that decision. He didn't want his daughter to achieve more than he had. Therefore, in an act of of some self-justification to say, well, she's a narcissist and uh, it takes one to know one, so I I know that if, if if we gave her power, she'd just take over everyone. Instead, he kills her. Mm-hmm. And that is why she dies. She doesn't die because Lindelof was like, well, we can't have anyone have full power. She dies because she made the terrible mistake of reconnecting with her father. And that's why. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. And, and that's what it is at the end of the day. Had True not sought Ozzy's approval, had not said, I loved what you did in 85... And not, you know, bragged about being his child, she could have achieved this. She absolutely, or even easier, if she didn't take, like, if if I was true and I saw my dad saying, save me, daughter, or help me, daughter, I'd be like, man, (laughs) sucks you're on the moon, bye. (laughs) And that's, and that's also, I mean, she does have, she suffers from that same hubris, that same, like, I got mine, you know, like, you know, wanting to shove in your parents' face your successes. But guess what? That's another truth of this show. You're never gonna improve. You're never gonna impress your parents to the level that you want them to be impressed. Well, that's like a that's like a lesson in life, kind of. Like, yeah. You have to be satisfied with yourself because, like, if you try, I mean, that's a story, kind of like in my life and everybody's life. You know, if you try all the time to get to get your parents' approval, then you're never gonna you're never gonna be good enough because exactly. they always want different things for you. I have a quick story about billionaires to. Um, sort of close this off because it is relevant to um, sort of how detached they are from reality. All right, go ahead. Um, sorry. Um, no, you're good. Go ahead. I used to work at an undisclosed, we're not going to say the company that I worked for, um, in the development department. And part of my job was research. I did a lot of research on um, potential donors for the company. And... Um, so I basically stalked rich people's lives for mm-hmm. a good chunk of a year. And um, I looked at all of the, their financial assets, because a lot of that information is available online, because a lot of these people are not smart about concealing their stuff. And I'd see these foundations. And I'd look up these foundations, like like a sort of like a foundation with like two or three names on it. And I'd look it up. 
and um, I would I asked my coworker I was like what is this foundation like I've never heard of it and she's like oh that's so they can they can conceal their money oh yeah and I was my mind was blown like perhaps it was naivety but I was like 22 at the time and I didn't realize the fact that these people are so detached from reality that rather than just give their money away and still be comfortable you know I can't remember where I read it but somebody was saying they're like well if I had as much money as Jeff Bezos did I'd give it all away or like I'd donate so much of it and everyone's like the response, I can't remember what the response, who who responded to or where I saw this thing. But it said, uh, you know, the reason Jeff Bezos has, has as much money as he does is because he's never given it away. He specifically made decisions that will continue to increase his personal wealth while at the detriment of others. And it's just become, you know, it, it's just a, it's a it's an exercise in, in pure greed, pure greed to the point of, you know, not giving a shit about other, about humanity as a whole, because being philanthropic. I think is is also a game for a lot of people. Uh, for a lot of billionaires, they think, well, I've earned billions of dollars. Now I get to give it away. Like, you know, go grab the pennies or whatever. What? And that's and that's the point. Is at no point should you should you have so amassed so much wealth that you you're like now I'm just gonna do the nice thing because for one human to have so much it gives them this power Ozzy has this power that he should not have true has this power that she should not have humans don't need our decisions to be dictated by the richest among us and yeah. that's something that that I mean Watchmen does this lovely you know point of creating these I mean specifically the graphic novel but you have characters from all walks of life you have a homeless man fighting alongside a billionaire and you look at them both and you're like ah they're both crazy i can't choose either um, they're terrible and i hate them it's it's like this one lives in a crawl space and this one is and a mass murderer yeah <laughs> um, I, was, I was just kind of like i don't know how to euphemistically describe him <laughs> and you or you have like dan in the middle who's like my dick can't get hard because i'm 45 and fat and you're like oh patrick wilson why are you in this movie <laughs> um, seriously i gotta say um yeah uh but no you're absolutely right there's there's this lack of humanity to people who have many many millions of dollars which is showcased very well in Watchmen it's showcased front and center to show the lack of humanity specifically in the fact of Ozzy slash Adrian just just not treating Phillips and Crookshank like they are humans that he treats them like they are disposable toys like they are they are bounty paper towels they will clean up your shit and then you can throw them in the trash and that's how he that's how he thinks about all of humanity that's how he thinks of his daughter people are ultimately expendable to him exactly he, he he thinks his actions are justified exactly He's and to be honest that's all anybody ever really needs if they believe their actions are justified that's all they're going to need to do and i think that even circles back around to the police if the police believe their actions are justified <laughs> then they did the right thing and if they can get a chief to agree with them then absolutely they did the right thing does the family disagree fuck the family yeah like it, this guy who, who gets the snot kicked out of him, you know, like if he was, if they got the information out of him, if they can get a conviction, it was all worth it, right? Yep. Me. Right, anyway, um, but yeah, so that's that. I think we're gonna wrap it up there. Yeah, that's our episode. And uh, I mean, I think we'll touch back on Doctor Manhattan probably at a later time because uh, I mean, I, I while I could talk about Doctor Manhattan for forty five minutes at least, uh. Stick. <laughs> <laughs> Stick.
take you, bitch. <laughs> okay. he's, he's like, I will claw at the, uh, yeah. the letter. Fuck you. So, so while I could talk about Dr. Manhattan for 45 minutes, I'm not going to uh, because it's, it's already been almost an hour. And what we'll talk about next week, I think this is going to be a great way to segue specifically into the disgustingly hot weather that it's going to be. Holes. Yes, I am very much looking forward to that. I think, yes, that is it. <laughs> yes, that is it. Um, so if you're a big fan of Louis Seychar or um, a human being who enjoys good stories, you should watch Holes. Um, we'll, we'll test you next week. It'll be great. There'll only be like a quick five-minute essay question. Then we'll have some uh, multiple choice, couple of true or false. And, and then we'll close that out with oral arguments. And honestly, to be real with you, just, just fucking pick it up for Mammoth. It'll take you an hour to read. It's a children's book. It's it will take great. You an hour and if to you read. have kids, I really do recommend you get it and let them read it. It's wonderful. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Stay safe. And uh, stay cool. And, um, you know, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.